Okay, let's tune our hearts and our spirits to the word this morning. God, we just invite you to speak to us. Lord, minister, Lord, to those who are in those low valleys. Lord, would you minister and even bring conviction this morning to, to each one. Lord, that we would use this time in your word to reflect upon where we are in our journey. And Lord, maybe even if you'd want to speak some corrective things to us this morning, Lord, we just invite that and say, God, bring it on. Lord, I invite that for my own life. Lord, that even as I have the opportunity to share from your word, that by your Holy Spirit's power, that you would work conviction in my heart, my life, my story. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, we took a pause from the series that we've been in about pausing, about when God hits pause. It's like God has this divine button that he reaches out in in our stories and goes, you know what, I'm just going to like pause for a minute. Pause for a while. Pause for a season where all of a sudden, and God, I thought you were doing so well in my life. I was blessed. I was resourced. I was happy. And then all of a sudden, it's like God hits pause on all that activity, and we're like, God, where did you go? Where did you go? Because I can't see what you're up to, and right now I can't even hear your voice so well. So Lord, what are you doing in my life? And we see all through God's word that he uses the pause button to develop us, to grow us, to help shape us into the people that he so desperately longs for us to become. And guess what? We long for that as well. We want to be the people that he is growing. And when we began this series, I, we looked at a, a familiar passage, but we looked at it in a translation that is probably new to many of us. And it's Philippians 1.6. And I just love the wording of this particular translation. It's called The Voice, is this translation. And here's how it reads in the voice. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident that the creator who has begun such a good work in you, and that's what we love, right? When God's doing that good work. Brother, God's doing a good work in me. And we say that because it feels good at that moment, right? It's like, wow, this this feels good. I love what God's doing, man. I'm feeling just loved and blessed and cared for. But then we get to this next part. The God, the creator, has begun such a great work in you, will not stop in mid-design, but will keep perfecting you. See, the goal is that God is working to refine us, to grow us, to stretch us, to cause us to be more like himself. The goal of discipleship is to become more and more like Jesus. And we looked at this at the beginning of this series about when God hits pause and go, why did Paul have to write to the church in Philippi and remind them that God would not stop in mid-design? Well, because the reality is a lot of times we need to be reminded because it feels like, hey, God, where did you go? I'm only in the middle of this process. 
I'm only in the middle here. So why this pause? God, I thought you were in my corner. Aren't you? Aren't you there for me? Well, as a matter of fact, he is. And he's never left. But it's often at these times, in these pauses, that God is doing a different kind of a work. A deep work. Right in our soul. Our faith is being tested. And if we continue to learn to lean into him, even during the times that are those darkest, deepest valleys, where we don't see what he's up to and we're not hearing his voice at that moment so clearly, if we continue leaning into him, what we discover is that when that pause time is over, we have grown stronger in our faith, more confident in our followership of Jesus than even before that pause time. Now, some of those pauses that come into our story are tests so that we will then be able to grow through that. But there's another way that God uses pauses in our lives, and that's to bring correction when we've drifted off course. When we read the Bible, especially when we read in the Old Testament, we see time and time again when God hit pause to bring correction to his people who had drifted from his ways. Today we're looking at the life of a man named Gideon and what God was teaching him right at the end of a major seven-year pause. Seven years that Israel was under pause because they had strayed from the ways of the Lord. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to highlight some sections in there for you, and then your homework is to go back and you can, you can fill in all the details that we're going to not have time to cover out of these chapters, because there's a lot there, and it's so good. But we're going to kick off right at the beginning of Judges chapter 6, and Bree, just hold that slide, because I'm going to read a little bit before we get to, to verse 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. So read along or listen good. Judges 6.1 begins and says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now we're going to hear a little bit more about what the Midianites were doing in a moment. But when it says that God gave them over to the Midianites, it's like God just pulled back his protective covering that had been over Israel. And we're reminded that God will hit pause when we're not seeing him as active in our story and that one of the reasons that he'll do that is to like call us to attention. Something's wrong here. Something needs to be addressed. There's some area in our life where we have drifted off course and that's exactly what we're seeing. Israel is doing evil which will be highlighted in a few moments as we get deeper into the scripture. I would say that this kind of a pause, we might refer to as a self-inflicted pause. Because of our actions and behaviors, we're actually inviting God's discipline. 
Ouch. The author of Hebrews, though, talked very specifically about this idea. Check out what the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as a child. What an important thing to remember when we're maybe experiencing this pause of correction, when God is working to bring alignment into our lives to where we get back on track with him. This is what good parents do with their children. Good parents don't let their kids just, well, I'm just going to let them do whatever they want because I don't want them to be mad at me. I, I want them to like me. I want them to be, you know, my friend. Hey, that's just called bad parenting. <laughs> parents that are good parents struggle through this process of finding appropriate ways to bring discipline and correction to their kids' lives. And actually, that's one of the ways that children actually know that they're loved. That my parent is going through this hard process. It'd be way easier for mom and dad to just kind of take a back seat and say, well, whatever, you know, you made your mess, just kind of go, you do you, right? (laughs) It is way more challenging as parents to step in and go, hey, we we got to fix this that's going on. This is going to lead to your ruin. This is going to lead to your destruction. There is a path that leads to life, and there's a path that leads to death. And it is my responsibility as a parent to help you get on and back on that right path that will lead to life. And that's what our good, loving, heavenly Father does. Not because he's angry at us, not because he's mad, but because, what does it say? Of his love. He so deeply loves us that he's willing to go through these hard times, these maybe these pauses of correction, where it feels like the enemy is just kind of like messing things up, running all over our business. So let's get back to Gideon and his story and Judges, and now we're in verse 2 of Judges chapter 6. And it says, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites actually prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In other words, the Israelites were hiding when the Midianites showed up. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, right? We're trying to be fruitful here. This is our land. We're we're planting on crops. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites... Amalekites and other Eastern people invaded their country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and tents, the enemies did. They came up 
with their livestock. So here comes all my sheep, all my goats, all my cattle to graze on your land, right? They came up with all their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count, to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. It says they did not spare a living thing. That is quite a comment. Because you know what? We're seekers of life, aren't we? Like, man, we just want to live life. And we're so bothered when things come against that, you know, whether it's our health, whether it's our finances, whether it's our family, whether it's our job, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's like, man, that's part of my life. And God said, now I'm hitting pause. You need to be called back to my ways. You have drifted from my ways. And so I'm hitting pause. And guess what? The enemy's coming in to ravage those places where you have been seeking life. And so now we get to verse 6. And go ahead and put up that slide. It was so bad. The enemies came in to ravage the land, not, living a, not sparing a living thing. And then here's verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When you find yourself in a pause of correction, cry out. You may not have been seeing him or hearing him, but guess what? Our God is listening. He is inclining his ear to us, and I believe that he's waiting for our cry. He's waiting for us to cry out to him. And because it's the beginning of recognition that we're going to get after these things that have been the cause of our correction and discipline. So what we see here is that when the Israelites cry out, God shows up. And going down to verse 11, it says this, Judges 6, 11 through 14, says an angel of the Lord came. Yay. And sat down. <laughs> Listen, one of the things we reflected on when we began this series, God's not in a rush, right? He, he's the one that hits that pause button. So God shows up, and the first thing that God does when he shows up, sits down under the oak tree in Ophir that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon, was threshing wheat, not out in the field, but in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So here's the picture. People begin to cry out to God. They were under such heavy oppression. Midianites destroying everything, ravaging the land. So here's Gideon hiding in a wine press, right, doing what should have been done out in the open because that's how you take care of wheat and get the chaff out is to do that where the wind can hit it, but there, he's, he's in hiding, hiding from the Midianites. And this is when God shows up. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's what I love about what God does when he engages with Gideon. 
the first thing he does is confirms his presence. When we're going through a pause, whether it's for testing or correction or some area of growth that God's wanting to bring, it is such our natural tendency to assume that God is gone. Like, maybe he's not even real. I mean, this is so hard and so intense. You know, I, I thought that I used to believe, but now I don't even know anymore. The first thing that God does when the people cried out to him was to remind Gideon, no, it's really me. I, I'm here. I haven't left. The first thing God does is confirm his presence. Gideon, the Lord is with you. You haven't seen him. You haven't heard him for a while. But you have not been alone. He never left you. Remember, the Lord disciplines those he loves. I think these, time, these, uh, these times of pause, of correction, it's almost like when you're a kid and you've been sent to your room for a timeout. Timeout! You go to your room. I remember one time, I, mean, I don't remember this too many times in my life, but I remember one time that I was actually sent to my room without dinner. <laughs> to bed with you! I thought my world was caving in. I'm being starved. I've been abandoned. No one loves me. No one cares for me in the world. Right? And you know what? Sometimes I believe that when we're going through these times of, of correction from the Lord, it can feel it's like a major time out. But here's what we need to remember. We have not been abandoned. And here's the picture. That it's like Father God, who is just the perfect Father, loving and caring in every way. It's like he sent us to our room, but here he is. And he's in the hallway with his ear to the door saying, how are they doing? And he's listening for our cry. He's listening for our cry. And what we see is when the people did cry out to the Lord, he came. Going on in verse 13, Gideon's just been called mighty warrior. God is with you. So what does Gideon say? Uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Listen, he just put into words there. He articulated what we all feel. God, where are you? All these miracles and other people finding their freedom, I don't see that happening in my life. God, if you're real, I think you've abandoned us. Well, God had hit pause to bring correction. 
So the Lord turns to him and says, go in the strength you have. In other words, you ain't dead yet, boy. (laughs) You still got legs under you. You still have enough energy to be out of that wine press doing your wheat thing. So go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God says, am I not sending you? In other words, are you paying attention? Because right here, right in front of you, I am with you. Yeah, you haven't seen me at work. You haven't seen my hand like you'd heard your fathers talking about in previous generations. You're right. But guess what? I'm here. I'm right now. So let's get to work. Now, the next things that we happen, that we see happen in the story, two things that we're just going to look at that offer us, I believe, something of a pattern of a couple of things that God often does in our lives when he's bringing correction, bringing one of these corrective pauses to our lives. The first thing he does is that he gets to the root of the problem. We're going to see that God immediately calls out what's been going on that needs to be addressed. And we see that down in verse 25, later in that same chapter. Judges 6, 25, it says this, that same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build and I love these words, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So who is this Baal and and Asherah? The practice of Baal worship had infiltrated Jewish religious life. In fact, many uh, scholars would believe that that the people of Israel were worshiping the true God at the same time that they were worshiping these false gods. There was this unholy mixture in their life going on, and this is the reason that God was bringing this pause of correction, saying, you've drifted. You need to come back to me and to serve me alone. So this worship of Baal and Asherah happened even though the Lord has warned his people before they went into the promised land not to worship the gods of the Canaanites. Remember, that was the promised land, Canaan land, that I am giving to you. And we wonder, now why was God so insistent that they wipe out all of those people that were the inhabitants of that promised land is because God was trying to preserve and protect his people from this worshiping of false gods. But guess what? It happened anyway, even though God had warned them. Israel turned to idolatry. The word Baal means Lord. Baal was a fertility god. 
which is kind of interesting because you remember that when the Midianites were coming in, what did it say that they did? They were destroying and ravaging every living thing. And here they were worshiping a fertility God who they believed enabled the earth to produce crops and people to produce children. That was why they were worshiping Baal. They had set up these altars because they were not trusting in God to bring fruitfulness in their lives, but they were now trusting in false gods to bring them life. According to the Canaanites' myths, Baal was considered the most powerful of all gods. And Baal worship was rooted in sexuality. No, you know, that's not hard to figure out. This was a fertility god. And so kind of perverse sexual practices were built in to the worship of Baal, involving like, you even read this in scripture, but there was like ritual prostitution that was going on in the temples to Baal. And at times, we also read in scripture that Baal required human sacrifice. This was messed up. This was not for God's people. And then who was Asherah? Asherah was the goddess of fertility. So Baal, the god of fertility, Asherah, the goddess of fertility, and certainly as a fertility goddess, those who worshiped Asherah also were involved in sexual practices that God had forbidden for his people. God's people had strayed. And God addresses it right away when he shows up. That same night, God comes to Gideon and says, this is what we're gonna take care of. When we're being corrected by the Lord, we don't have to wonder. Hmm, I wonder if God wants me to stop messing around with drugs over here. I don't know. This partying that I'm doing every weekend, I wonder if God really would be more pleased if I would knock it off and quit trying to seek life in places that are really heading to my death and destruction. You know, maybe I should really stop cheating on my spouse. Really? Maybe I should stop lying to my boss. Maybe I should stop the practices of greed. Maybe I should stop lashing out in anger at my kids, my spouse. I don't know. What do you think? The Holy Spirit will make it clear. He'll highlight it when we cry out to him and say, God, what's going on in my life? We don't have to wonder. A couple interesting things to see in this passage, and just go ahead and leave that slide up there. God did not ask Gideon to simply worship God on Baal's old altar. God said, tear it down. See, sometimes I think that we are tempted to say, God, would you, would you just kind of bless this thing that I'm involved in? God, can't, can't you just kind of like bless me how I am? You know you made me this way. You know that alcohol that I go to, God, I, I, I know that you put together those alcohol molecules 
and you know what they do. You know how they make me feel. It kind of feels good. So God, can't you just kind of like bless who I am and just don't worry about this part of my life, God. I'll still serve you. God didn't say, hey, just go ahead, Gideon, just worship me on that altar that was to Baal. No, God said to tear it down. Stop it. Stop it now. That behavior, that idolatrous action, I'm not going to bless it. This is the very reason that you've been in this season of correction. Tear it down. It's done. It's time for it to be over. And here's the other thing that I think is an amazing insight into what God told Gideon. He said to use the wood from that idolatrous Asherah pole to actually become the fuel of this new sacrifice to the Lord. I'm telling you, when you begin to think about that, that the very thing that I had given my life to, once I have said, God, I am tearing it down, that that very thing becomes the fuel that now begins to energize my worship of the Lord in a whole new way. And if you've never met somebody that's been set free from idolatry, set free from addictive practices, set free from things that have been designed for their ruin, and now they are, they're free, woo! That's why Nicole is down here hooting and hollering during worship. Because, oh my God, you set me free. Man, when you hear last Easter, Mike and Roxanne share about the radical freedom that they have found in Jesus, come on. It ignites a fire within us that now we get to use to glorify God with our lives. God will use that very thing that has been the most destructive area in your life to become the very fuel that is gonna supercharge your life with the Lord. Tear it down. Bring it to him and say, God, I give it to you. Light it up. Light it up. So Gideon does this great thing, tears it down. Now, you'll see when you read this, he does it in the middle of the night because he was scared. What are all my neighbors going to think? You'll see how God spared him through that. But so once that's over, we get down to verse 33. And he does the right thing. He, he tears down that altar, worships the Lord, restores proper worship of the Lord. And guess what? The pause ain't over. The pause is not over. In fact, here come the Midianites, just as they've been doing the past seven years. Judges 6.33. Now all the Midianites, would you say the word all? all? Come on. Here they all come. All the Midianites, all the Amalekites, and all those other eastern people, they joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. You know, sometimes when we begin to do the right thing, guess what? Here comes the enemy. 
Here comes the enemy, and he's bringing friends with him. And like everything is joining forces against me. I don't know what's going on in my story. God, I am trying to do the right thing. Guess what? I, I believe that it's in those moments you need to recognize, I think the end of my pause is coming soon. <laughs> because the enemy is doubling down against me and bringing all his buddies to try to rain on this fire that God has ignited within my soul. But then listen to what happens. I love this. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Think about that. God had already told him, I am with you. Now, God says, I am within you. I'm not just with you by your side. I am in you. I am empowering you. I am going to give you all that you need to conquer this. Whatever that thing is that God has called you to tear down and bring correction, God is saying, I have given you my Holy Spirit. The God of the universe come to dwell within you and me, giving you everything you need to conquer that evil that is designed for your destruction. Come on, somebody. Please catch that. Because if you think you're going to do this in your own strength and your own energy, forget about it. We need the Spirit of the Lord to come upon us. And guess what? He's already promised. He's already promised His Spirit to us. The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning all of his associates, the Abizarites, to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. So the Spirit of God comes on Gideon, and he says, guys, we've got to band together, to join forces, to come against the enemy. And what we discover in a few verses, we're going to see that 32,000 men, men in arms, I mean, men with their spears and their shields and their swords and their daggers and their javelins, I mean, 32,000 guys show up. Pretty cool, isn't it? But here's the second thing that God does, because he does the very unexpected. Absolutely unexpected, God strips away the very thing that Gideon thought that he should be leaning on during this time so that he would learn to trust in God alone. So what we see at the very beginning of Judges chapter 7, we flip the chapter, and here's what it says in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. <laughs> what? I mean, listen, remember how we read that the people of Midian, when they all showed up, they were even too numerous to count. I mean, they just swarmed in and said like locusts. I mean, 32,000, that's a lot of people, but we can still count them. The Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot Deliver. I cannot deliver Midian 
into their hands. Whose hands? Those 32,000. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. I did this in my own power. I kicked that addiction in my own strength. I overcame that idolatrous behavior just because I muscled up. I manned up. I got my big girl pants on and I just did it. God says, no. You need to learn a different lesson here. So God does the unthinkable. Is that he begins to strip away the very strength that Gideon was leaning on, these 32,000. So the first thing God tells him is like, hey, ask them who's afraid. Anybody that's afraid, tell them you can go home now. Guess what? 22,000 guys, shields, spears, swords. They're like, yeah, you know, I, I think my wife is calling me. <laughs> 22,000 guys bail because they're scared. Okay. But we st- still got 10,000. God says there are still too many men. Whew. Lord, we're down to 10,000, man. Like we can't even count the enemy. Still too many. So the remaining 10,000, God says, go get him a drink. Now, all of those who got a drink by getting down on their knees and just going for it, just putting their face down in the water, drinking deep, God says, yeah, all of those guys who got down on their knees to drink deep, send them home. Only those who bent down and brought water up to their mouths. Now, you could try to read something into that. If you want to, you go for that. I'm not doing that today. God was just using that, I believe, just to get them down to the number that he wanted. Out of the 10,000 remaining, 9,700 of them got down on their knees. And Gideon goes, oh, why did you do that? Why did you get down on your knees? Because God is telling you, if you got down on your knees, I know you're not afraid, but you have to go too. They were left with 300. 300. God stripped away over 99% of the resources that Gideon was now relying upon to defeat the enemy. Why? Because if God hadn't done that, Israel would have boasted and said, it's because of our strength that we were able to conquer the enemy. God brought it down to just the bare minimum that was needed. I think God will strip away anything that we rely upon to help us rely on him. And he'll strip away health, finance, relationship, whatever, Because he wants to get to the heart of the issue. Will you fully put your trust in me that I can get this done in your life way better than you think that you can? So let me just read to you how the story goes. (laughs) Dividing the 300 men into three companies, 
He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the enemy's camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me in our little group of 100, when we blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp of the enemy, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the enemy's camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So this is the middle of the night. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. Now, I want you to remember something. They still did not know what God was gonna do here. They, they still had really no idea of how God was going to work this out. They just now fully were trusting that it was the Lord, not their own strength, that was gonna accomplish this. But they didn't know what God was up to. They didn't know what God was gonna do. They were just being crazy obedient. Crazy, but being obedient to what God had told them to do. Sometimes God just requires our crazy obedience. God, I, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm just going to be obedient to do what you said to do. So the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand, not their swords, but their trumpets, they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, listen to this, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The pause was over. And without God's people, even, even having to bloody their swords, or even go into the camp. All they had to do was do what God had instructed. Held up their torch, blew the trumpet, and God did all the work. And what you, what you read is that not only did they kill each other, the enemy just like turned on each other in this frenzy of confusion and they started just killing each other. And the remainder of them run for the hills. And so then Israel got to chase after them and capture their kings, and it all turned on just their crazy obedience to do what God said to do. Tear down the altar, burn it up, and then learn to trust fully in me. I've got this. I think when we're going through times of correction, church, we could learn some lessons there. And, you know, I don't know everyone's story. Of course I don't. There are things in our lives that sometimes we do pretty well at hiding sometimes from even the people that are closest to us. There may be even a, a spouse that doesn't know all that's going on in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your actions. There may be people that you journeyed with a long time and we just 
don't know everything that's going on deep inside. But the Lord does. The Lord does. And when you look at your life and go, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is why I've been in a pause where I have not been able to see God at work. I even began to doubt that he was even real. But hearing this, you're like, oh, maybe, like with the Israelites, God has been using this pause to get my attention so that I would cry out to him. Church, friends, let's do it. Let's cry out to the Lord. And when we recognize that we have been being ravaged by enemies, but we invited this upon ourselves because of the things that we've been doing. We need to hear God's voice that says, tear it down, burn it up, turn that into a sacrifice for me that I will be able to honor and restore true life to you.